I wanted to, to talk today about affliction. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that it's one of those difficult things to uh, talk to people about when they're being afflicted. So, uh, I mean, part, part of the motivation of my heart was while generally we're not under affliction, it's probably a good idea to, to talk about it. Um, and uh, one of the problems we face, of course, when we're afflicted is that we tend to get down and we, we look at things through the prism of our own minds, which are under pressure. And we tend not to see things um, as they really are uh, when we're in that situation. And what I wanted to do today was to um, look at, I suppose, seven principles, seven steps, seven perspectives on responding to affliction. Um, If there was a text... Uh, for today, um, then it would be 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 that you might want to uh, turn up. <clears throat> so Peter here is writing to Christians who have been um, dispersed up there into, I suppose, what's now Turkey and that, that kind of part of the world. Um, and there are various views um, Some commentators feel that there was a a general persecution going on. Others feel that, well, no, this isn't the right time for that to have been happening historically. Um, But people are always under, Christians were always under, or some Christians somewhere were always under some sort of uh, pressure and persecution. And uh, so um, Peter writes, starting in verse 6, In this you rejoice, that's... Um, knowing about God in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials note this so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ And the key in there for me is that little phrase, tested genuineness of your faith. And it seems to me that, you know, when when we get into um, trials and tribulations, um, we often feel it's all about us. We feel that things are going wrong, um, that, that stuff is not right. And we can blame ourselves for all sorts of things. And sometimes we turn and we blame God. Or at least we we have very severe words with him. What on earth is going on? And we've probably all been in that place at some time or other, asking God, what on earth is going on? One of the things that's going on is that the genuineness of our faith is being tested. And that little phrase just struck in my mind uh, a hallmark You know, if you've got gold or silver, and I think pewter, um, it has a hallmark. It's got the maker's hallmark, and then um, something to tell you the date. And where there's degrees of purity, something to tell you the level of purity. 
And if you've got a piece of gold or silver and it hasn't got the hallmark on, then it's of dubious origin. But with the hallmark, you are certain that you know what it is that you've got. And similarly, I think affliction is actually about proving the genuineness of our faith. It's about giving us that hallmark of being genuine um, before God. And so what that leads us to the, the thought is that there is a positive benefit to come out of... Oh, that's not working. Why is it not working? Oh, dear. <coughs> oh, let's try this. It is on. Yeah, I think you're going to have to do it there, Chris. This is... Uh, yeah, it'll just be um, across the slide there, yeah. Sorry about that. When I tested it, it worked. It was perfect. I made sure it worked. Um, but as... Uh, sorry? I am talking about affliction, yeah. yeah. And as, uh, as Mike Foster says, is stop using technology for for support of sermons and things like that because it always goes wrong on him. Um, So there is a spiritual benefit from affliction. And often we don't feel that, we don't see that. But what this says is that we actually need to look at our situation differently. We look at it through the prism of our own eyes, our own minds. And we need to look at it from God's perspective. And if we can do that, we can and we will see that there is a spiritual benefit that comes out of affliction. Now, it's statements like this, which is why you can't really talk to people about this in this way when they're going through affliction. Because if uh, somebody's really under the cosh and you say, there's a spiritual benefit for that, I would run. You're liable to get thumped. (laughs) There was a a voice of uh, experience there by the sounds of it. Um, But know this. There is a spiritual benefit from affliction. Let's just think briefly about affliction. I'm, I'm not trying to get to why there is affliction. Just, just deal with that as a fact. That's probably a series of sermons way beyond my theological pay grade, as they say. Um, but I could see broadly four types of affliction. Uh, there's the indiscriminate type. This is you know, illness and fire and flood and famine and, and atrocities, all those things that you just have to be in the world and be in the wrong place at the wrong time and you befall them. And it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not. It's about your, your geography, as it were, at that time. And you receive that affliction. There's also a discriminate affliction that's aimed at you or your group. Um, that could be persecution. Because of your faith. It might be the enemy having to go at you because you are engaged wholeheartedly in spiritual warfare. And it might just be that somebody has a particular enmity towards you and chooses to pick on you for whatever reason. Then there's discipline. God disciplines us when we need to be corrected, um, when we need to be admonished, when we need to be developed. And sometimes that seems really hard. And that seems like affliction also. 
And then sometimes we find affliction because of the result of sin. Wrong actions, wrong attitudes lead to consequences. And when we get those, we can equally feel afflicted. And in all of those things, we need to come to God and get his perspective and work, allow God to work in us that we might gain that spiritual benefit. So first, let's just briefly um, deal with uh, some of these factors. Uh, one of them to, to look at is this issue of sin. And I don't want to dwell on this um, particularly because uh, I want to look at some of the uh, other things I've got to say. But in 1 John 1, uh, verse 8 and 9, uh, John says this to us. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then an amazing verse. If we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes it's a battle to get there. We're so embedded in our sin that even when we become aware of it, our hearts don't want to go there before God. But that's crazy because... The reason that forgiveness is guaranteed is because Jesus died upon the cross and he died there for all sins. Not just the ones we committed up to the point we became a Christian. Not just the ones that we've dealt with. But he's died to give us forgiveness for the one that we're in just now. And what we have to do is come to him and confess. And if we confess with a right heart before God then his promise is we're forgiven. The forgiveness is already there. We're really kind of simply appropriating that forgiveness. And God will then go on to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because God chose us before the foundation of the world that he would see us to be holy and blameless without blemish in his sight. Isn't that amazing? And we... We sully ourselves from time to time, but we can regain that place. God never sees us any differently. It's, it's our own hearts that see us differently. So he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then, of course, we need to walk in a repentant way. We need to seek God, that he will work in us through his Holy Spirit, that we'll be able to leave that sin behind and not go there again. So there's a principle uh, which is we need to confess and accept God's forgiveness and cleansing. Yep. Chris is a better remote control than Logitech. Yep, so we need to confess our sin and accept God's forgiveness and cleansing. There's another one that we'll spend next to no time on, and that's the next principle, Chris, that we need to know and apply God's word and promises when we face affliction. Can't not say that. That's what we're trying to do now. And we're all familiar with the the fact that we really need to know God's word and use it as a guide to our lives. And that's the same in affliction. Would you turn with me now to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Paul writes, 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So what do we notice about the affliction here? For Paul and his colleagues, this affliction was off the scale. It couldn't get any worse than feeling that he had or they had received the sentence of death. Don't know what it was, but they despaired of life itself. They were in such a place, such a place. But Paul, because he knew God so well, was able to say this next piece. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That was the benefit Paul saw in that affliction that was way off the scale. It was to rely on God and not himself. And that can be a hard thing to do, but it's one of the things we need to do when we face affliction. But look then, that experience that he had, had a future benefit. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Because they had experienced God's deliverance, they were then able to look forward knowing in future situations God would do it again. He would deliver them again. So then there's another principle, Chris, please. We need to rely on God. When we're in those situations, we need to rely on God. Often we try to dig ourselves out. Often we look to others to dig us out or to dig us out. But no, we need to rely on God. And this reliance is actually a bit like Spiritual bodybuilding. Affliction is painful. Bodybuilding is painful. One of my dear friends explained an affliction I was going through in those terms. He's a bull of a man. He, uh, you know, these, um, you know, chest expander spring things. I remember being in his study once and I picked one of those up and it was like a solid rod. I could not move it. He's a strong man. And he would go bodybuilding. Um, and he teaches um, over in India. Uh, he's an evangelist and a teacher. And he told me that when he's in India, in the place that he, he was going to at that time, he used to go to a gym that was run by um, an Olympic weightlifter. And he explained to me that when when you're lifting weights to put on body mass and to get strong, what happens is you lift the weight and you always go that little bit further because it tears your muscle. And that's what makes it sore. You then also get lactic acid, which makes it ache. But the way muscle grows is because it tears 
and then new protein comes in and fills the gaps and restores the fibres. And that's why weightlifters always have to lift a little bit more because they need to tear the muscle. And that's the process of affliction. It's tearing our spiritual muscle so that those fibres can be rebuilt. But that's a dangerous place to be. Particularly if you're doing one of these, you know, bent, you know, you're lying on the bench lifting these things straight up. So you have somebody to do what's called spot for you. And they stand over you with their hands around the bar. They take no weight and they just go with you as you lift this thing. But when you can't do it anymore and it's going to drop, they're there to catch it. And that's like God when we face affliction. We are in that mode of spiritual bodybuilding, but God is there to catch it when we can't. So we need to rely upon God. Now what happens when we get cast down? I've already mentioned it. It skews our perspective, doesn't it? We've all been there. We've we've looked at a situation and we've felt that this isn't right and we're, we're feeling depressed or frightened or whatever and we construct all sorts of things going on. It might even be that we seek to justify ourselves. But we get a wrong perspective of those situations. There's a, um, a process called the ladder of inference, which is fascinating when I, when I learnt about it. And it's about how we think. And once I'd learnt about it, I could see it at work in me. And what this starts with is we have, uh, we see a situation You know, it's just running the vanilla situation as if you're seeing it through the video camera. But we select stuff out of it according to how we believe the world works. So, for instance, if Steve were a lazy person, and he's not, but if he were a lazy person, and I'd asked him for help, and he didn't come to help me, I'd say, well, Steve's just being that lazy so-and-so like he always is. But then I get home and I get the telephone call saying, Mike, I was really trying to come and help you, but I've put my back out. I I literally can't straighten up. That's why I've not been there. My expectation, my belief about reality was wrong. But I have responded. I've got angry with Steve. I've maybe even bad-mouthed him to other people because of what I believed he would be like. And it isn't like that. So my actions have followed my wrong belief about how the world works. And they've reinforced the view that Steve's lazy. When he isn't, he's hurt. And the same sort of thing can happen when we get afflicted. We get into that process. We have a belief about what's going on and we assess the situation according to that belief about how it's going on. We maybe need to fill out the story so we make assumptions that are in line with how things are going on. But it's not reality. It affects how we behave and how we feel, but it is not reality. Would you turn to me to, with me to 2 Kings chapter 6? And verse 15. 
2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15. And this is the story of Elisha's servant. When the servant, the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, that's the master, that's Elisha, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man you seek. And he led them to Samaria. The servant had got a view of reality, but it wasn't a complete view of reality. It wasn't until God showed him what reality really was, that he understood what was going on. He saw the Syrian army about to come and get him and his master. God showed him that there was a huge army there protecting them. That was the reality of the situation. And that story plays out in accordance with that reality. And that's the same for our situations we get a wrong perception of what's going on. And so we need to ask God to show us, to open our eyes to see the real situation. So Chris, would you put the next one up? So the principle here is we need to base our reactions and responses on God's perspective, not our perspective. We need to to plumb those depths with him. Now I want to... Um, look at Habakkuk's experience. If you want to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3, you'll find Habakkuk five books back from the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse And here we read, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So what was the affliction? The larder was literally empty. And the stores that filled the larder were empty. The ability to sustain life had been lost. And yet what does Habakkuk say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Was he being delusional? Was he in denial? 
No. Why? Because he knew that God the Lord was his strength. And so he rejoiced in God, not in the situation he was in, but he rejoiced in God because God was powerful and he knew it. He was loving and he knew it. He was righteous and he knew it. He was sovereign and he knew it. He was the creator God. He had that experience of God and therefore he knew he was utterly reliable and trustworthy. And therefore he was able to hope in God. Can you do the next one, Chris, please? Yep, so that's the point. This is the, uh, sorry, a little bit out of step. Um, So the principle here is that we need to trust God to be our strength and we need to rejoice in him. Not the situation, but in God. Now the next one, Chris. This is a photograph of a dam in the Grand Paradiso National Park in Italy. And there's a dam And the Ibex climbed that dam. This is huge. If I'd got the other photo, you'd you'd see this, you know, enormous dam. And these Ibex climb it. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This is a place that a man could only go with a rope. But these things, if you actually see the video version of this, they're clambering around, they're turning around, they're going upside down. They are perfectly at home. A little bit cautious, but perfectly at home. And they go up there and they eat the the weeds and the lichen that uh, grow out on the rock. This is the promise God makes in Habakkuk. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Therefore, we can trust in God to be our strength and rejoice in him. Chris. The next principle is we can take refuge in God and be radiant in him. Now, who can tell me where we get this from? Sorry? No, our fighter verses over the last weeks. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David was in desperate times. He had just learned that Saul wanted to kill him, and he fled. And he fled to the king of Gath, Achish. And he suddenly decided that he wasn't safe there. And so that's the place where he feigned madness. 
and he started to dribble, so he's all the time, so he's saliva running down his beard. And Akish said, why on earth did you bring this man? I've got enough madmen. And that allowed David to escape. And this was his testimony of what God had done for him in that affliction. His whole world had been turned upside down. He'd had to flee the king he loved. He'd had to flee his best friend, flee his country and his people. And there, where he went, he was afraid for his life because they knew of his reputation as a great warrior. This was strikes me as being parallel to Paul. You know, it was as if he was under sentence of death. And he found God to be totally trustworthy and reliable. And there's two interesting things that he was delivered from in there. His fears and his troubles. And what's the difference? Well, fears are the bad things we think might happen. And troubles are the bad things that are actually happening. And it might be that the fears are worse because we sit there waiting for them. But God delivered David from both of those. And therefore, he was able to be, or to, to be jubilant and rejoice in God, being radiant in God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Take refuge in God and be radiant in him when you are in that place of affliction. And as I say, affliction is about building spiritual muscle. In uh, Romans 5, Paul writes, We rejoice in our sufferings. This is verses uh, 3 to 5, if you're following. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So Paul sees suffering, and he recognises it produces endurance. That's the ability to go on. That's because we've been trained by it. We've been there, we know God is trustworthy. So next time, we can deal with more affliction, and keep going and going. We can endure. And that endurance leads to character. A character that is more dependent upon Christ than ever it was. And then that Dependence upon Christ leads to hope. That certainty of our salvation in that day when the Lord returns. And James said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James sees trials. He sees them as a test of faith. He sees them as a thing that develops steadfastness, endurance. And that growth makes us complete. Spiritual bodybuilding. And I dare say that if we want to get to know God well, if we want to grow spiritually, there is actually nothing for it but to go through afflictions of whatever kind. But the issue is, how do we go through them? 
And these are some ways that I've seen. Know that that affliction has a spiritual benefit. Confess and accept God's forgiveness and cleansing. Know and apply God's word and promises when we face affliction. Rely only upon God. Base your reactions and responses on God's perspective, not your own. You're after his big R reality, as it were, rather than your little R reality. Trust God to be your strength and rejoice in him and take refuge in God and be radiant in him. And that's why Peter was able to write those words we started with. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, because you're not going to remember all of those in the heat of the moment, I've... uh, I've put them out on a card that you can pop in the front of your Bibles. So hopefully when you realise, oh, I'm afflicted, you can flick to the front of your Bible, wake one out, and I pray that the Lord will bless you through it and it will be helpful. If you'd like to take one and pass them on, that would be good. And while we're doing that, we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we do just come before you and we want to thank you that you are there. As a commentary or a a reading, I was was reading uh, a couple of weeks ago, Lord, in a different situation, but nonetheless it applies, you were described as the the all-the-time God. And I want to thank you that you are our all-the-time God. And you are with us in those times of afflictions. And Lord, through your grace, through the variegated colours of your grace, we are able to go through those times of afflictions with you, with you supporting us, and we can grow strong in you. We just thank you and praise you, Father, and ask that when we get there, you would help us to remember to look at affliction differently, not the way we would naturally do, but to look at it with your eyes. Just ask this in your precious name, dear Lord. Amen. Shall we say the grace to each other? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you.